You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. This is Trailblazers with Ricky Swinnell. Welcome into Trailblazers, yes, with me, Ricky Swanell. Each week, Kirsty Stanway or myself are going to chat to Kiwi sportswomen doing amazing things on the world stage. We're going one-on-one, long-form, in-depth with some of the best in the business. And speaking of, we've got one of those with us today, the White Ferns captain, Sophie Devine. Sophie, welcome to Trailblazers. Thanks for having us, Ricky. Well, look, I was looking up your bio, and I don't think I've ever come across anyone as Wellington as you are. Were you, like, born in Kinapuru <laughs> Hospital, Tawa College, everything like that? Is it, like, emblazoned on your body? Oh, absolutely. I do have one admission, though, that I have to make, which will tarnish me forever, is I actually played one season for Canterbury, which <sighs> I never, ever, ever um, am allowed to forget about by anyone in the New Zealand team. So that is one thing I do have to admit early on. Okay, look, we'll get that out of the way. And as <laughs> someone who was also born in well, we'll, we'll forgive you just this once. Was it a successful season in Canterbury? I mean, it was. Of but, course. I, mean, I went straight back to Wellington afterwards. So, I mean, I feel like, yeah, I've, I've repaid my dues now. I, I know, as a, you know, as a, a cricketer, you travel the world and you spend a lot of time in Perth, which is where we're catching up with you from at the moment. But is, is Wellington home? Is that where family and everything still is? That's where you love to be back at? Yeah, it's certainly where I'm based and I am in New Zealand. I've still got my sister lives there. We've actually just moved back to, to Tawa, which I spent a lot of my early years at. So it's a bit funny being back there. I guess, what, it would have been close to 20 years since I've been back there. So, um, no, it is. Wellington's certainly home. Family's sort of moved all across the country, and, and I've got a brother in Sydney as well. But um, it is. Whenever I fly into, unfortunately, Wellington Airport on a gusty, windy Wellington day, um, it certainly feels like home. Yeah, I was going to say, there must be something. What what makes you a true Wellingtonian, do you think it is, is, is coming in and applauding the pilot on, on the way in? Or it's the you must have your favourite coffee shops and all that because there's a lot of coffee snobs in Wellington too? Yeah, well, another thing I've probably had to admit, I actually don't drink coffee, which um, is unusual, but people actually say it's probably a good thing. I don't need any extra hyping up. So, um, yeah, no, definitely. I think, um, you know, when people are complaining about a, a light breeze, um, you know, it's nothing for Wellingtonians. I think that's something which makes me a purebred Wellingtonian. For sure. Yeah, I don't drink coffee either, so it's okay. It's, uh, I call it my character flora. don't drink coffee or beer, and I just go straight <laughs> oh, up and tell people that I know. Uh, you, you mentioned Tawa, where, where you're from, and Tawa College. What it is it? What is it about that area that is producing cricketers? Yeah, I honestly don't know what it is. Um, obviously, we've got uh, a couple of us now, actually, in, in the well, not only in the Wellington Blaze, but also in the White Ferns too. I think it just comes down to, to the people. I think is a really key thing. Obviously, Robbie Kerr, Amelia, and Jess's dad was a really heavy influence in the cricketing scene. Uh, I know he was my first coach, actually, at Wellington Blaze and, and gave me the call up when I was, well, I think I'd just turned 14, actually. But it is, I think it's just ingrained, like it is in a lot of schools and areas and communities in New Zealand. It's just sports part of your life, and it was no different when I was growing up. And I think 
I think back actually to one of my high school cricket teams, and from that we had um, Blair Hilton, who plays or used to play for the Black Sticks yep. men hockey team. We had Evan Williams, who represents New Zealand in squash. We had a an age group swimming champ as well. So I mean, we um, certainly were a, were a high achieving bunch of cricketers in that year nineteen. It's like one of those those classic great New Zealand public schools, right? Where you can have a crack at, at most sports, and and you get a couple of passionate people, like you say, a, a Robbie Kerr, a passionate coach on one one area, and they drive you down that way. It must be, I guess, in the the life you lead now, so important to see those sorts of things for kids coming through. Oh, absolutely! Like volunteers are the absolute lifeblood of sport, um, and it doesn't matter what grade you know sport you play that they are the people that keep the games going and and I don't think enough credit goes to them you know the Saturday mornings freezing your bum off you know in Wellington on those windy days or whoever it is like they're so so important and those passionate people that do so much for not just kids but communities I think that's a really important thing is is they are so important and crucial to I guess healthy and um, you know enjoyable teams and, and sporting opportunities. You're you're obviously a sporty kid, um, and if you're making you know provincial teams at, at 14, that that's into the extreme. What are your, your memories of of winters in Wellington and possibly up on the hockey turf as well, up up on the hill in Newtown and things like that? Yeah, oh, it was. It was just any sport I could play. I was I was into. So it was it was predominantly hockey and cricket. Both of them I picked up really young, sort of four to five years old. I still remember going down to the, to the Tower Club actually at Linden Park uh, with my dad and brother, and sort of just wanted to do whatever they were doing um, and, and being put into a team from there. And, and I mean, I was so lucky that I got put into a great group with boys. Um, played boys cricket all the way through uh, club uh, up until high school. I actually played. Uh, all the way to first eleven cricket um, until I left for Christchurch in my final year of high school. Uh, but it was it was just anything I could play. I was into whether it was you know netball, soccer, basketball, volleyball. Like I just wanted to do anything and stay outside for as long as possible. And I mean, there's a few tales about the Divine Oval, which um, we had outside our house. We sort of somehow acquired a concrete roller from God knows where. Um, so we took great pride in rolling our pitch and getting the chalk out and marking the crease under me with some epic battles with my brother and his friends and, and my friends, you know, would be playing five day test matches until it was pitch black and someone got sconned in the face and I couldn't <laughs> see the ball. But I mean, they, they're the sort of memories that, you know, when you're in the pressure situations that, that you find yourself in now playing at the elite level, it just is such a, a, an important reminder to give you that perspective. Yeah. Did you, did you roll the pitch to your liking? Did you, did you get a say or were you dictated to by your brother and his mates and how they wanted the pitch to play? Yeah, well, look, I spent a lot of time bowling in those games um, or, or fielding at deep long on, you know, chasing the ball around. But when it was my opportunity to either bowl or, or have a crack with the bat, um, I certainly tried to dig in. But, look, unfortunately, it didn't last too long. <laughs> you, you mentioned playing first 11 right through high school. So you were obviously allowed to do that as, as a girl in, in the boys' first 11. Yeah, it was sort of it's sort of funny looking back on it now because I didn't think anything of it because I played boys cricket all the way through. I was always just seen as one of the boys, mm. um, and it was no biggie. So um, I didn't realise the fuss that it created when I went from I guess intermediate up to up to high school at Tawa College, and I was so fortunate. My parents, I guess, I was lucky that my dad was coach and had coached me um, throughout my my career up to that stage, and was obviously coaching at the high school level as well, and. And I guess they went into bat for me uh, with College Sport Wellington and, and all the, I guess, Cricket Wellington people that needed to 
to sign it off. The biggest thing was they were scared about my health and safety, and they said, look, we wouldn't be put... Well, my dad was like, I'm not going to put my daughter into mm. something that she can't do, and, um, you know, this was all... I was oblivious to this, but I just wanted to go out and play cricket with my mates that I had done for the past 10 years. So, um, yeah, again, I was really fortunate to have the support of the school, of my parents, and, and of the cricket community, and um, was able to play a couple of years, uh, sort of, yeah, year 9 and 10 A grade, stuff and then first 11 for my last two years at Tower College. Yeah, I mean, it's probably good to have been oblivious to it, right? I mean, you sometimes see these stories now cropping up, aren't they, of in various sports of girls being told they're not allowed, or vice versa, boys being told they're not allowed to play in certain netball teams, and I guess the social media and all of that sort of stuff exacerbates it, so it must have been, yeah, probably good for you to be oblivious to it. Your parents might have protected you from it a wee bit, do you think? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I think um, the whole landscape's changed, hasn't it, with yeah. social media and what's out there now so I think I'm very fortunate to have grown up the way I did but I do I, I do I see a lot of the the stories and the cases that you see about yeah girls or boys trying to play uh with the other sex and, and I just think it should be so taken on a case-by-case basis if, if these kids are good enough and can handle it then why would we be stopping them the opportunity to get better and and you know who knows where they could end up so yeah it's, it's a really interesting conversation mm. that needs to be had mm. Yes, as you said, you, you made the Wellington Blaze at 14, a couple of years later, 17, you're into the White Ferns. We see that a lot in cricket, in women's cricket, that very young players are elevated very quickly. Why do you think that is, Sophie? Oh, look, to, to put it bluntly, it's the, the lack of depth. Um, and it's certainly something that is improving at Zealand cricket. And, um, but yeah, I don't think it'll be as common as we probably have seen it. But I think, you know, we've got to be honest that women's cricket isn't as popular as, as other sports. I think you look at netball, you look at rugby sevens now, rugby and, and how popular it is, um, that cricket's got a bit of a job to do, I guess, to change people's perspective about what the game involves. I know a lot of people I talk to, you know, they don't want to commit to Saturday mornings taking up, watching a ball being chased around, the, you know, the cricket field. But the, the enjoyment and, the, I guess, the skills that I've learned playing cricket is something that I just think... Um, a lot of people don't realise and, and sort of brush over because they think it, it's so time-consuming. But, uh, yeah, look, I, I think it is so important that that you love what you do. Mm-hmm. do. Did you ever think back now that at 14 or 17 it was too young? Um, I, I know we, we hear a lot now, obviously, with Amelia Kerr and how young she was coming in and the, the, the parameters and protections her parents worried about. Do you do you think you were too young or, you, or that you, you handled it as well as you could, a kid with grown-ups? Yeah, it's a really interesting one because, again, it should be a case-by-case mm. basis and the the child is, is able to, to handle that environment. And, and I was so lucky. When I first made the Wellington Blaze team, there were the likes of Maya Lewis, Lossie Harford, Sarah Hill, Anna Corbin, Anna O'Leary, who were some of the absolute legends of the game uh, here in New Zealand. And, and they really took me under their wing and, and protected me. And uh, on the cricket field, I was more than capable of handling myself. It was more sort of the travelling away from home and, and that side of things, which, you know, it can be a tricky balance to get that. But I, I, like I said, I was so lucky to have those women there protecting me and looking after me like I was their, their own daughter. So I was, yeah, I was very fortunate and will forever, I guess, um, be grateful for, for how they took me under their wing, some little rat bag from Tower <laughs> causing... Talking smack. Well, I met Sarah Hill this summer, just been. She did some commentary with us, and she's as mad as a cut snake. So you've done well to, to get through that. I'm glad she looked after you. I tell you what, I, I do have a story about Sarah Hill, actually, which I'll, I'll have to um, do the, the PC version. But I remember I got asked to be a netballer for the Wellington Blazers. This must have been the year before 
um, I actually made the squad, and I accident, and I truly mean I accidentally bowled a bouncer at Sarah Hill in the nets. She came down, and remember, I'm only 12, 13 at the stage. <laughs> absolutely ripped my head off, swearing, you know, F bomb C, but absolutely like, who do you think you are, you little. <laughs> and I remember going home, going to my mum, being like, Mum, what does beep, 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 beep mean? Because I got called a beep, 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 beep. But I knew, you know, once I got through that and, and earned Sarah's respect, um, you know, she was so fiercely protective and, and loyal towards me. So it was certainly a, a baptism of fire, but, um, yeah, one of the friendships that I really treasure now. Absolutely. I love it. We're chatting to White Ferns captain Sophie Devine here on Trailblazers. We'll take a quick break and be back with more shortly. This is Trailblazers with Ricky Swinnell. My guest today on Trailblazers is White Ferns captain Sophie Devine. She's joining us from Perth where she spends a lot of time. But true blue Wellingtonian, we're talking about her early cricket days in Tawa and at the, uh, at the Wellington Blaze and, of course, making it through to the White Ferns. Of course, Sophie, also were a hockey player, a dual international again. What is it about the two sports, I guess, cricket and hockey, that, that married up quite well, that the skills we do see can cross over a bit? Yeah, it's probably a question I got asked quite a lot about, the, the skills that were transferable between the two, and probably the top one comes down to hand-eye coordination. Um, I remember I got put a lot on the post and penalty corner defence because I thought I could swap the ball away, hoping my, my cricket skills would come in handy. But the thing for me that I actually really enjoyed was how different the sports were. Obviously, cricket can, can be a long time on your feet, whereas hockey is pretty explosive. So I like the fact that they were so different but could still complement each other in in different ways. Yeah, and I guess um, different levels of fitness too, right? Yeah, absolutely. That was, I guess, a bit of a struggle for me going from cricket season into hockey season was getting the running in the legs. Um, And it's just such, yeah, like you said, it's such a different sort of fitness. And even more so now, like I watch the game and how quick it is. And it's just unbelievable that the fitness required to, to do the repeated sprinted efforts um, time and time again. But I think it's actually taught me a lot about, I guess, being a high-performance athlete, but as well, you know, how I can transfer that to, to cricket and, and what I can do with my body. Do you miss playing hockey? I do. I've got another admission to make here. I've actually played a little bit of hockey while I've been here in Perth. Um, have, have picked up back. Um a couple of times for, for club hockey here and it, it's certainly been amazing. I've, I've really missed it. It's probably been, I was trying to work out, I think it's been four or five years since I played last. So, um, no, it's been it's been bloody good. All your fingers are, are still intact, uh, all teeth where they should be, knees okay? Well, they are, although I've got a few more graze marks, which I forget how forgiving the, the hockey turf can be. So I've actually got a bit of a grave on my thigh which is, is taking a bit of, of time to heal but fingers crossed it'll be right by the time I get back uh, into the cricket thing. Must be nice refresher though right to just to go do go back to something that you obviously love do something different again and and have a good run around and and all of that. Yeah oh, it is and I think that's something that's so important it's something I'm certainly really passionate about is encouraging people athletes kids to to do as many sports as possible for as long as possible I get um I get angry, to be fair, about hearing kids specialising so young these days because they think, you know, as a seven-year-old, you're going to become an all-black if you only focus on rugby. So um, for me, it's so important, not just the physical benefits that I think you get from playing multiple sports, but also the mental benefits too. And that's something for me, particularly the last couple of years I've really noticed, is is being able to go out and, and do something else in a completely different environment with a different group of people, whether it's, you know, playing hockey, whether it's 
picking up the golf clubs and, and going out onto the course and, and getting out getting away from the cricket field, I think it is just so important to be able to, to switch off and, and go and test your, your body and your mind in a different way. I was going to say, you wouldn't be a true cricketer if you also weren't a golfer as well. I didn't realise you played. Well, yeah, it's only been the last couple of years that we've picked it up. Um, we always used to be pretty tight on luggage space when we used to travel around, so the golf clubs were, uh, never made the cut, but that's certainly... Um, one of the first things I pack now, and, and oh, I just love it. I mean, I'm I'm not that great at it. I think I'll you know hit one and ten down the straight down the fairway, but it, it certainly is a great way for me to unwind and, and relax in between in between games and training. Going back um, to the hockey, and and you as I say played for the Black Sticks as well, international hockey. Were you able to balance them both at high performance level, or did you have to make the call one way or the other eventually? Again, I think I was pretty lucky in terms of, I guess, the era that I played at. There weren't any professional contracts at that stage, so I was actually able to balance the two for a couple of years there, actually, um, which was pretty tough. And looking back, it was um, pretty crazy, actually, that I managed to to do it for as long as I did. Uh, But I I did have to make a decision leading into the London 2012 Olympics uh, whether I committed to, to hockey fully, and that was probably one of the hardest calls I've had to make. I guess always playing both sports and and having to focus solely on on one was was weird and I and I found myself um, after I did commit to hockey lurking around cricket fields in the summer you know <laughs> just hiding over uh, you know hitting the red ball and 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 rolling the arm over but you know I had no regrets about focusing all my energy on the hockey uh, leading up to the 2012 Olympics it was. Um, yeah, a really special time. Even though I missed out on, on the final selection, it was a, a huge thing for me to, to be involved in and, and it certainly shaped the athlete that I am today. Yeah, you, you just missed out on that squad, which obviously went on to, well, I mean, a very creditable fourth, but it was massive heartbreak as well because it could have been so much better for the Black Six. Does it still sort of sit with you a little bit that you never got to fulfil that Olympic dream? Yeah, oh, it does a little bit, um, and certainly every time the Olympics come around, I sort of get you know that little twitch, um, you know, where I'd love to have experienced that. But you know, I'm so thankful for the opportunities that I had, and um, that, that you know, I, I have no regrets whatsoever. Um, so yeah, look, it is a hard one to say that I've never been to, to I guess a, a pinnacle games, whether it was Com Games or, or the Olympics. But so yeah, grateful and thankful for the opportunities that I did have he's, in he's, that Black Sticks environment. You still got time? What are you only 30, 31? Oh geez, I don't know about that. After playing hockey here in, in Perth, I'm I'm so far off the mark. It's not even funny. But uh, look, I still love it and have so much respect for for those girls, and, and obviously wish them all the best mm. um, in Tokyo. Yeah. Did you catch them when they were in Perth recently? No, I didn't actually. I, I got in and then the city obviously went into lockdown as soon as I got here. So um was a little bit restricted for that. But uh, yeah, look, I certainly still follow them really closely um, and, and keep a really close eye on, on how they're going. Obviously, most of the girls that I played alongside now have sort of moved on, but uh, I will always have a special piece of my heart for, for the Black Sticks. Mm. You talked about um, the, the you know, playing the different sports and, and how good it is, is for you physically, but but also mentally, and, and that has been a big challenge for you this year, um, the, the mental health side of things, and we can go as, as deep or as little on this as you want, entirely up to you, um, but... That, where are things? How are you feeling mentally after the summer that you had and, and having had a bit of a break now? Yeah, look, I'm certainly in a much better space than I was probably towards the back end of our summer. I think 
uh, it, it took a wee while for me to, to really realise, I guess, what had happened and, and try to understand, I guess, where I got to. Um, I think the thing for me is it was certainly an accumulation of, of a lot of different things. The COVID world that we're finding ourselves in now has, has posed a lot of different challenges. And, and for me, I think the the amount of quarantines and bubble life and biosecurity rules that I guess I'd, I'd been in since, since probably July last year um, really took its toll. And, and it got to a point where I wasn't able to, I guess, do my job playing for the White Ferns, which is, again, probably one of the hardest decisions I've had to make to step away. But um, I think it's so important that that we can talk about it, that we can uh, speak up about it, whether it's within our team or within our athlete community or just in general. I think it is so important that mental health uh, is spoken about and it's open. Um, so for me, it was. It was a it was a bloody tough time. Um, and I know, you know, people are going about things, you know, everyone's got their own challenges and things like that. But for me, it was about taking some time away and um, really, I guess, just reassessing where I was and, and this, the processes I needed to put in place to make sure that, that I can handle things because, unfortunately, I don't think COVID's going anywhere anytime soon. So it's about how, how I can manage myself um, in the different environments I'm going to find myself in, in the next couple of years. We'll, we'll take uh, another short break here on SCNZ, but we'll come back and, and chat through that a little bit more with White Ferns captain Sophie Devine here on Trailblazers. This is Trailblazers with Ricky Swinnell. And more importantly, with Sophie Devine, the White Ferns captain, who has been joining us for a great chat here on Trailblazers today. And, and we were chatting a, a little bit earlier, uh, Sophie, about the break that you had um, earlier in the year. You took some time out for the White Ferns and, and basically to look after your mental health um, as well. Did, did you have to be really honest with yourself uh, about where you were at at that time and honest with your teammates? Yeah, look, and that, that's probably something that took a bit of time. Um, even the decision to step away from tour was something that ultimately almost um, I had to get New Zealand cricket and, and Bob Carter to almost make that decision for me because it was I didn't want to feel like I was giving up on my team and that I was you know running away whatever. But I guess the way that I look at it now, it's exactly the same. If I had have pulled my hamstring or broke my arm, you know, I wouldn't be any use to the team because I'm not at a hundred percent. And it was no different for me mentally. I, I wasn't capable of fulfilling the role not only as a player but as a as a captain, as a teammate and, and for me I I'll never want to represent New Zealand when I'm not, you know, able to give a hundred percent. So that was that was really tough and it was mm. dark places for me to be able to step away from it. It's obviously something that I love doing and love representing my country. So to to step away when I did and how I did, um, was was tough. But I guess I've been really lucky. I've had such great support not only from New Zealand cricket but um, from family and friends to be able to have that time away um, to continue to work on myself, and, and that's going to be ongoing. I think that's a really important thing. It, it you know, you're never fixed, you're never cured. It, it's always probably going to be lingering there in some way throughout, not just my cricket career, but my life. So um, for me, it is. It's about uh, having those honest conversations that you mentioned, and being able to talk with people, open and honestly about how I'm feeling, about how things are tracking, and 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 trying to stay on top of it as best I can. Was there any any one thing or, or anything during that series against Australia that that was the sort of the the final straw or the catalyst to to know that you needed that time that you needed to step away? Um. Or no, not really. Um, I mean, I think it probably, I probably got to a point where it, we're actually hitting before one of our games. 
oh, I can't remember what one it was, and and I just had to walk out of the net, you know, an absolute mess, which um, I don't think anyone knew what was going on, let alone myself. Um, but but I, I had to take myself out of the net because I, I was just such an emotional wreck, um, and, and just I couldn't be there. Um, which was really hard and it, and it was overwhelming and it was scary and it was um, heartbreaking really um, to, to not be able to do something that I've done for so long and, and to feel like that was, was really hard. So um, that probably, uh, I guess, initiated some conversations with the support staff in the White Ferns and, yeah, I guess uh, we probably took a bit of time to make sure that, that I was okay first and foremost um, and then, you know, decide what sort of process we should follow I guess, following that um, situation. Well, I guess last summer, Sophie, you took on a lot. I remember thinking, you know, you, you and, and gosh, and from the media side, so grateful because you're always so open and available. But World Cup promotion, there was the wonderful story with the wee boy at the Eden Park Outer Oval, all of those kind of things. And you said yes to everything because of, you know, what a time it is for, for women's cricket. Is that something that perhaps as we go through towards the World Cup next year that you just have to be a little bit mindful of how much of yourself you are giving publicly all the time yeah oh a hundred percent and that's I guess part of my ongoing work is I guess I feel a real sense of responsibility not just for for women's cricket but for women's sport is is we don't get much of I guess the publicity and, and, the, and the time in the limelight so whenever we do get those opportunities I want to help I guess um you know step into that and, and, and help show the fantastic product we have not just as cricketers but as female athletes but that is something that I it's going to have to continuously be a work on for me is is being able to delegate and to say no that that's okay and, and to make sure that I'm putting myself first and foremost which can be tough sometimes and I know a lot of people struggle with that not just athletes you know you know everyone does so it is it's been a big learning for me around what that looks like and um and how that works in this environment I think like I mentioned COVID has been bizarre yeah, um, yeah. putting it mildly yeah, you know, and it, no one knows how it's supposed to work. And so we're all sort of just trying to find our way through and, and, and figure it out as we go. So that's what it's been like for me. And, and, I mean, we've seen a lot, I think, the past couple of months. I think the Naomi Osaka case, um, you know, with the, the media. We've seen it with, I guess, a few of the other female athletes, Kendra Coxage, Amelia Annie Canasio mm-hmm. as well. You know, putting mental health first. And I think it is so important that we do continue to have these conversations and open it up, not just for athletes, but, but for the public too. Yeah, I think it's probably a good reminder to everyone that, you know, we can give ourselves a bit of a break sometimes, right? Well, exactly. I think we're, we're our harshest critic most of the time. So for us to be able to, to step aside, and, and someone said it to me, you know, you're no good if, if you're giving, 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 and you're not looking after yourself. At the end of the day, um, you know, when I think about me in the cricket environment, if I can't do what I'm there to do and, and play cricket and, and win games of cricket, you know, I'm not going to be helping anyone if I'm, running on empty so you know sometimes you do have to step away and put yourself first there's a massive time ahead as we said with the with the cricket world cup being hosted here delayed of course next year and so that the scrutiny and all of that is going to come as well um because everybody will want to see you and the white fern succeed so much so do you have you got parameters in place already you start to think through those things and, and i guess access to people that can help um, manage that side of things yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to be a real challenge. Uh, and I think that the great thing is, is is hopefully we can lean on different athletes who have been through that playing World Cups at homes and the pressure that brings. And, and obviously we've got high expect, high expectations ourselves as White Ferns to, 
to what we want to be able to deliver at that World Cup, but we also know we've got to be realistic about um, you know our chances and, and what we're capable of doing, but we're certainly going to be striving bloody hard to be lifting that trophy come the end of the, the tour, but it is. It's going to be really important that, that we focus on ourselves and and that we've got a really tight bubble. Oh, I guess there's that COVID, COVID <laughs> language, isn't it? That, I know. Doesn't it creep in? <laughs> oh, geez. Um, but, but really having that tight bubble around us and the people that, that that opinion really matters to us and making sure that, that that's um, tight as anything going into to big pinnacle events like that. Because it's, it's been a tough, tough season for the White Ferns as well. The results haven't come. So uh, what happens between now and then? Where, where are the improvements? What can be done to uh, yeah, get those results better and, and give the team a bit of momentum going into the tournament? Yeah, oh, look, I think we've, we've done a lot of reflection over the, the past 12, 18 months, and, and we know that we haven't had the results that we're after, but we've also got to be realistic about who we've been playing against. We've been playing against the number one and two sides, ranked sides in the world, and, and they are absolutely humming at the moment. And, and look, it's no excuse. It's great for us that we're up against the world's best because it, it's, a, it's a marker of where we need to be to to be the best. We, we've we been working bloody hard behind the scenes, and they're the things that a lot of people don't see is, is the work that goes in behind the scenes. Um, so for us, we've been having a couple of camps now, um, both up in Tauranga and, and down at Lincoln and Christchurch, where... There's a few areas that we're working on that we know that we can make some some quick gains in, but also some stuff that that's going to take time. And and I spoke about it, I guess, right early at the start of our chat is, is that depth. Mm. And I think that's something that that's going to take a lot of time. Absolutely, would would love to all of a sudden have 50 50 females to to pick from, but that's not the case at the moment. But the thing that I've been really impressed with is. It's growing, and we're starting to get some real competition for places, which I think will grow that, uh, you know, that competitiveness within the group and and drive us to be better. I think you see it with the All Blacks, the, the Black Ferns, the Black Fern Sevens, the Silver Ferns. When you get that competition for places, it pushes players to be better, and and that's where we want to get to as well. So, look, there's it, it's it's part of a journey, and that's what I need to to keep remembering and and keep telling myself is this is just part of a, a long journey for us in my time here in the White Ferns, and it's going to go on much longer um, after I leave as well. So, look, it's something that I'm really excited about. It's huge, huge occasions coming up in the next 12 months that I'm, you know, hopefully be a part of, but also know it's part of a, a longer journey. Do you, do you feel like there's, the pieces are, are almost there, that if you can get the best 11 out on the park, you, get, you know, get Susie fit and yourself ready to fire again, Leah, you know, has been in and out with injury as well, a whole lot of different players, that on your day you can actually beat anyone? Oh, without a doubt. And that's what we've always believed is, is when we're playing our best cricket, we can beat anyone. And I think I look back to the T20 World Cup uh, last year in Australia and, you know, we lost to India and Australia who were the eventual finalists by, I think it was four runs and, and five runs. And that's one shot in cricket, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So we know that we're playing our best cricket is, is we can absolutely be the best in the world. It's just about putting it together on the park. And look, that's where we've struggled recently is, is we haven't been able to be consistently play good cricket for long periods of time and, and that's the challenge when you're playing against the best teams is, is they do that for sustained periods of time and, and that's certainly what we need to do. And what have you got in terms of, of build-up and preparation um, before you actually get to the tournament? I think it's what, is it we're March, uh, early March start next year, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, so we're really lucky that we're, we're heading over to the UK next month for a, for a big tour over there, actually. We've played three T20s and five one-days, which will be great build-up for us. Um, in different conditions against a, a world-class side. They're actually the, the reigning 50-over world champs. So, again, a, a great test for us to, to see where we're at and, and as well to 
to I guess finalise and, and get a bit clearer around what our best eleven looks like and and what we need to do and, and how we need to go about playing to, to win games of cricket consistently. So we've got that, and then we a few of us will head over to the WBBL here in Australia, um, sort of through October November, and then we get into our domestic season, which you know is getting stronger and stronger each year. I think the Super Smash has, has been fantastic, and playing alongside the men on the, on the better grounds with great facilities, it, it makes a massive difference. And then. I think we're hoping we'll have one more side tour us before the World Cup. And then, yeah, as you say, it all kicks off the start of March. We're away. My guest on Trailblazers is Sophie Devine. One more quick break here, and we'll be back shortly with a bit more for Sophie. This is Trailblazers with Ricky Swinnell. We've still got a bit more time with White Ferns captain Sophie Devine, which is great because we're covering off all sorts um, with so much coming up, so much that has happened. But let's get a, a, away from cricket, off the field for a little bit. I'm, I'm gathering that you're a bit of a sports head. I'm an absolute sport nuffy. doesn't matter what it is. I um, can find myself parked up on the couch if I'm not doing anything in the weekends and, and park myself there and watch everything that's going on. Have you? I mean, does that put you in the pub quiz team when you get in and they want the double round and they always go look to you for the sport questions? Oh, 100 <laughs> percent. I'm in there. I'm not. You know, I'm not saying that I'll nail everything, but I'll give it a fair nudge. So, who are your teams? Who, who, who what in, in various other sports? Who do you support? Oh, geez. Um, well, obviously the All Blacks, the Wellington Hurricanes. I'm huge, huge supporter of the Pulse as well. That Wellington, I've got to stick. Yeah, with, fair know. enough. True with them. the Phoenix with the football. Um, at the moment, I'm a bit of a floater with the NBA. I sort of just jump on the bandwagon a little bit. So I'm, I'm on the Suns at the moment um, in the final series over there. But uh, honestly, anything and everything, I, I just absolutely love being able to sit down and, and watch, you know, a good bit of footy. But I've actually gotten into AFL over here. It's sort of you, you can't escape it. So I've sort of jumped on that as well, which um, it's a pretty impressive sport, but doesn't doesn't have anything on, on my All Blacks or the Hurricanes. Oh, okay, good. I was going to say, I've got quite a few Kiwi friends who are in Perth and they go to the AFL now that they still make sure, right, that they still they still watch the rugby. Oh, 100%. Can't <laughs> get away from that. I mean, it's cool, though, and, and you mentioned before um, Amelia Ranikanasi or Kendra Coxage. It seems like there's a, a really nice camaraderie within a lot of the the female athletes and some of the blokes as well that, you know, that you, you guys are really supportive of each other. You, you're backing, backing each other's World Cups and, and other events and you, you go to games. Is, is that how – that's what it looks like from the outside. Is that how it is? Yeah, it certainly is, and I think it's something that is actually um, – it's one of our strengths as New Zealanders as we are such a small community that everyone does know everyone and, and the ability to, to talk with our fellow athletes. Like we obviously spent a bit of time up in Mount Monganui and um, you know, we've, we've managed to rub shoulders with the Sevens girls up there and, and they're unbelievable. I mean, they are just, you know, I've got so much admiration and respect for what they've been able to achieve over a number of years and, and being able to, to just chat with them and, and talk with them about all sorts, whether it's training, leadership, travel, um, you know, I just think it is something that we're really lucky to be able to do here in New Zealand. And, and I really encourage us to, I guess, yeah, keep improving that, that cross-code communication and, and learning from each other because at the end of the day, yep, we, we play different sports and we might use a different ball or a different stick or whatever, but, you know, sport is sport and, and what we go through is so similar. So to be able to share stories and, and learnings, I think it, it's going to help New Zealand sport in the long run. Yeah, because I, I always think we're, we're too small to compete, right? Like our, our sports, our, our NSOs, the national sports organisations need to collaborate more. Oh, 
I couldn't agree with you anymore. I think, um, you know, I mentioned it earlier in terms of kids playing multiple sports, and, and I agree. I, I don't understand why we don't share our database, you know, hockey with cricket, with golf, with tennis, with softball, and keep these kids involved in sport and, and help them grow because it's just, um, like you say, we're such a small community, we're such a small place that it, you can't compete and, and we don't want to I think we've got to spread the love and you know absolutely I want every young girl to come and play for the White Ferns but I also want the Black Ferns Sevens to have the best rugby players playing and the best Silver Ferns playing and you know the best football Ferns I, I don't care I just want kids playing sport and, and representing at the highest level possible and making New Zealand proud and, and I think we are so blessed with the talent we have in this country that um to me, it's almost greedy to, to want to keep that to yourself. Mate, I'm going to um, give you a post-cricket playing career as, and as basically the sport in sport governance. Please, can you go into sp- some form of sport governance? Yeah, well, it's actually interesting you say that because I've done a bit of work with Sport New Zealand and they've, they've got a program called Balance is Better, which is based a lot around, I guess, that what I've been talking about with, um, you know, playing multiple sports and just breaking down myths around, you know, not just kids' involvement in sport, but youth and teenage and young adult and, and just trying to keep people engaged in the sport for longer because there's so many benefits. And I know I mentioned physically, but mentally as well, the community's stronger. Um, and that's been awesome. I mean, we, we're sharing, I think we've got close to 12 champions on that project now. And again, sharing stories around, you know, how does basketball work or how does volleyball work or what does football do and, and how can we make it better and, and how can we make the sporting experience for young kids in New Zealand as best as possible and, and as good as possible that they keep coming back because, like I said, at the end of the day, I just want Kiwis to be playing sport. I don't care what it is because I've had so much fun and, you know, just so many good things have come for me playing sport that I want everyone to have that same opportunity. Where do you stand then on the rep teams, the youth sport rep teams debate, the discussion that sometimes comes up? Yeah, oh, look, this is this is obviously a pretty interesting one and, and can get pretty heated at times. I'm certainly in the camp that I'm not sure about rep teams um, for underage. I think that the best kids will find a way to be challenged, whether that's going up a grade or, you know, finding other competitions that will challenge them. But I think on the whole, we need to provide more opportunities for more children. And when you think about rep teams, you're cutting out so many kids who end up being disheartened because they've missed out on, on an A or a B team that they throw away the, the sport, which is just such a shame. So for me, I think absolutely, if, if you can't have reptiles, you've got to have something else in place. I'm not saying that you scrap everything and there's nothing there for kids. Mm. It's really important that there's systems and, and, and structures in place that provide opportunities for those kids that want to be pushed and, and to go to a higher level. But also we've got to got to think about the majority and that's that's the really important thing for me is, is the majority of kids won't make the A team or you know the top team the first 11 or whatever it is so if we can keep as many kids involved in any sport for for as long as possible um, I think that's certainly the, the end game. Do, do you sometimes think Sophie that, um, that some of the biggest obstacle to kids sports is, is parents? Uh, <laughs> Which is probably easy for a non-parent to say but <laughs> yeah, yeah it is and Oh, it's, again, it's such a tough one, isn't it? Because parents are so crucial. I mean, they're, they're yeah. your taxis, they're your psychologists, they're your chef, they're your, they're your everything. Um, but I think it's just so important that winning isn't everything. And that that takes a lot for me to say that because in, in my world, winning is, you know, it's what you're judged on, it's what you're critiqued on. But 
for kids growing up, you know, they'll learn about winning and losing and it's about that participation, it's about enjoying it, it's about keeping them involved, about the skills that you learn through sport, not whether you win or lose, it's it's through, yeah, the, the skills that you learn, I just think, are, are going to long outweigh whether you won the, you know, the under six football champs in, in Auckland. I just think, you know, there's a lot more to it that, that we can give to the youth of today. Yeah. I, was, I wasn't joking when I said you're basically now going to be running um, New Zealand sport once you, but <laughs> when you, I mean, have you thought beyond cricket and how much longer you want to go for or, or, or what may lay ahead? Yeah, well, it's certainly, um, well, I'm, I'm certainly aware that I'm going towards the back end of my career, not the start of it. Um, yeah, it's a funny one because I guess you sort of get to my age and, and that retirement word gets thrown around and I've, I guess I've spoken to a few people about, well, how do you know, you know, when, when it's time? And a lot of them say, oh, you'll, you'll know sort of thing. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, as long as I'm still enjoying it and 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 can still perform. I think that's a really important thing is that I'm performing and doing a job for whatever team I'm playing in. I think that's the most important thing. But but afterwards, I mean, I don't know. I, I love sport, I think, as you can probably tell from our chat. <laughs> I'd, I'd never have guessed. <laughs> you know, so, so whether that takes me down the coaching path, whether it's managing, whether it's, it's sports governance, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. But again, I think we're really lucky in New Zealand that, that we're sports mad. So, so fingers crossed when, when I do call time on on my playing days, that, that there might be something there that I, that I can offer my services to. Yeah. Well, it's this weird thing, and, and we media, when I say we media, we, we can be guilty of someone hits 30 um, and, and you start throwing the R, R word around, but there's so many, there's so much, uh, so much longer to be able to stay in the game. There's the sports science and all of that, and, and I kind of think if, if, you know, if you're enjoying it, keep, keep going. You know, we're seeing athletes well into their late 30s now. Oh, and that's the thing. Like, I take so much inspiration from the likes of Roger Federer. I look at Tom Brady in the NFL, even Ross Taylor in the Black Caps. He's what thirty six, thirty seven now, and mm. it's amazing hearing him talk about. You know, people said he should have finished up years ago, but he's playing as well as ever. And if if you're performing and still enjoying it, then age really. I mean, it's, it's bloody cliche, isn't it? But <laughs> age really. If, if you're still capable of, of doing what you can at, at the level that you're playing, yeah, um, we've got just we've got a, a little bit more time. Uh, and we, as we said, you know, you're, you're a sports tragic, but we also like to get a bit of uh, recommendations and, and things like that here on Trailblazers. Uh, what are you watching? What are you listening to? All of these kind of things. Are you a binge watcher? Oh, not overly. I go through real phases. Obviously, having been through a couple of stints of, of quarantine and, and home isolation, I've. I'd, do get through a little bit. I mean, The Last Dance was with Netflix oh. and Michael Jordan. I, I think I devoured that in about a day. So um, certainly love that. I've been reading quite a bit lately, actually. Um, I'm trying to think. Well, I actually just read Cameron Smith's autobiography, the yep. Melbourne Storm play over here. Um, oh, geez, what else have I been into? Podcasts. I love a good podcast. The High Performance Podcast. Uh-huh. Um, two, two Brits over there talking with high-performing people, which uh, is really interesting. Um, Jeez, I'm trying to think about it. No, it's good. It's good. Good recommendations. High-performance podcast. Cam Smith's one of our SEN crew, so we can definitely recommend his his book as well. Um, And obviously, yeah, Last Dance. Um, But it's good. And the reading thing, you've got to get off your phone these days, right? So it's like I'm trying to do the same. Pick up a book. Oh, it's just, yeah, it's unbelievable. And I'm as guilty as anyone of, you know, finding myself down the the rabbit hole of looking through Instagram or Facebook or whatever it is, but 
yeah, for me, being able to switch off and, and read a book or a podcast and, and go outside or go for a walk, it, it, it is, it's, it, again, that mental health, it's so important to get your eyes, you know, away from down on your screen and, and up into the real world. Absolutely. Sophie Devine, thank you so much. I could sit and chat. We could we could talk as sports tragics for hours on end, I'm sure. But I thank you so much for the time, for your time, um, and all the very best with everything that is coming up for you and the White Ferns as we head into our summer and, of course, that World Cup next year. Awesome. Thanks heaps for your time, Ricky. You're listening to Trailblazers with Ricky Swinnell.